0: Thank you, Stephen. Amanda, team. Thank y'all so much. I'm gonna grab that for you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna take it. Okay. <laughs> Welcome, glad that you guys are here. And look, we are not done worshiping just yet. We're going to have a chance to worship uh, even more at the end of the service today. But we're doing things just a little bit differently. But I'm glad that you've come to worship with us this morning. Grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 is where we're going to be. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. And if not, maybe a device uh, that you can look at there. Uh, but Romans chapter 8, verse 12 is where we'll begin today as we continue our sermon series called The Repenters. Uh, and look, if you are if this is your first time with us, uh, welcome. We are glad that you are here. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first few uh, uh, sermons in this series, just kind of see where we've been. Because if you are new to us, I imagine that this might be a little bit of a weird title for a sermon series. Why would anyone want to adopt the title of the Repenters? Uh, and is that really who we are supposed to be? Is that true for some of us, for all of us? And what we're finding out is that because we're in this war with the flesh, we are all to be repenters. Uh, but I do need to admit, this is not a title that I came up with on my own. This is a title I actually heard a few years ago. Uh, years ago, uh, I was actually uh, over in Romania. Allison and I and the team were, were over there doing our youth camp as normal, uh, and we went to scout out a new location. So we headed up into the Voronet area, uh, and over there, there's a place called Camp Christia. And there's a group of believers there who have made incredible sacrifices, who love the Lord deeply. They're evangelical believers, love the Lord, and they put on Christian camps, even right now as we speak. They're housing refugees uh, and putting their facilities to good use. But they began to tell us the story of the area, and they said, look, we're just trying to love people in Jesus' name to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and they've been trying to make, obviously, friends in the area, uh, but they found some resistance in an unlikely place. Uh, a little less than two miles away from Camp Christia is a really famous monastery. Uh, It's actually a UNESCO World Heritage site. There's massive murals all around the Voronet uh, Monastery that use this very specific blue pigment uh, that is kind of indigenous to the area. Uh, And so it's incredibly famous. People come from all over to see this incredibly old monastery. Well, uh, these are Orthodox uh, believers or Christians. And so the folks at Camp Christia tried to make friends with them and say, hey, we'd love to serve alongside you. Uh, obviously, we, we kind of do this a little bit differently. Uh, and the Orthodox believers were not very receptive to this. Uh, in fact, they were a little bit hostile. Uh, and they just did not understand who these evangelicals were. Uh, and they had a name for them, uh, an epithet that they would throw at these believers, and it was the repenters. Uh, they meant this as an insult. Uh, they said, you, why, I don't know why you guys are always talking about repentance. Why in the world as Christians would you be repenters? If you're in the Orthodox faith, it's very simple. You come, you pay your tithe, you do the rituals, you can do the motions, and you're good. There is no need to repent. There is no need to change anything that you're doing. Do the rituals, pay your tithe. You're fine. Why are you guys always so obsessed about repenting? And so, kind of in a derogatory fashion, they would call them the repenters. To which all the folks at Camp Christia said, That sounds great. Call us that. That is awesome. We will take this not only as an epithet, it's a badge of honor. Much like the early title of Christian, Little Christ, was used as an epithet that the early Christians took as a badge of honor and said, that sounds great, call us Christians. You can't call us anything better. These believers in Romania said, call us the repenters because absolutely, we are people who consistently repent, who want to constantly be growing in a relationship with the Lord. And to do that, we must be constantly repenting. And so we, as a people, ought to be able to call ourselves the repenters. Now, look, a few weeks ago, we learned why. We learned that we are all in a battle with our flesh, not our physical bodies per se, but the vestiges of fallen humanity that we all live in. If you have been saved from Jesus Christ, you have been set free from the power of sin, but we are still wrestling with that indwelling sin in us. The Bible calls that our flesh. We are in a battle with that flesh. Week after that, we learned about our salvation say, look, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have truly been saved, you come to him and say, God, I can't save myself. Please forgive me. I need you to transform me, but I surrender myself to you. You have been justified. At that moment of belief, God has reckoned you as righteous. He has forgiven you for all of your sins, not just the ones previous, but for all of your sins. You are reckoned as righteous. You are adopted into the family of God. You never have to worry about losing this. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. But that began a process of sanctification, of actually becoming holy, of becoming like him. And so because we are saved, we go through this long process that's gonna take our entire life of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so as we discover sin in us, we repent, and then we grow in God. Godliness. We grow in holiness in Jesus Christ. Last week we found out why this is so important. We learned about the law of sowing and reaping. This is an immutable spiritual law. It happens whether you like it or not. Every point in our lives, every decision that we make, we are sowing either to the flesh or to the spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you reap death and corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life, peace, and eternal life. So everything we do actually matters. It is changing us. So this fight against the flesh is not something that we get to opt out of. It's something that we are all in and we must constantly be making the choice to choose to repent, to fight against the flesh. But today, I want to look at what that actually looks like. What does this mean in practice? How do we begin actually entering into this kind of warfare? We learned last year about the spiritual warfare against a spiritual enemy, but what happens when it's coming from inside of us? And this is why we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 12. We looked at these verses before, but I want to really dive in a little bit more today. Look at what it says here. It says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now that's a verse you ought to have underlined. That's a verse you ought to memorize, you ought to commit to memory. This is really kind of the whole fight in a nutshell. So let's say it one more time, verse 13. I'm just going to read it to you. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Bible actually gives us a very stark command when it comes to this fight against the flesh. When it comes to this battle, this temptation, this tension that we feel, we are not to coddle the flesh or negotiate with the flesh or tolerate the flesh. It tells us very plainly what we are to do. We are to kill it, we are to destroy it. He says, put it to death. This is strong language. And so this is our call as believers. We are to literally take a very serious attitude when it comes to the flesh that is living within each of us. We are to kill the flesh. Now, in Christian history, there's been a different word for this. That word is mortification, This really got popularized by the reformers during the Reformation. And that word mortification means to put something to death. That's where we get words like mortal. A mortician works with the dead. Okay, to mortify something is to kill it. So mortification is the process of putting something to death. The opposite, by the way, would be a word called vivification. That means to bring something into greater life. And this is the process we're in. We ought to constantly be mortifying the flesh, putting it to death, and then concurrently, that brings us more into vivification, more life of Jesus Christ in us. This ought to be the trajectory of our lives. Putting the flesh to death, growing in greater life in Jesus Christ. And if that sounds harsh to you, Please understand that this is not an isolated command. You actually see this all throughout the scriptures. And so let me show you a few of these. This is Luke nine twenty three. Jesus is speaking. And here's what he says to all of his believers. He says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Another stark verse. Imagine people who had not seen Jesus' crucifixion yet hear Jesus say this. He says, you should take up your cross daily. The cross is an implement of execution. It kills people. It will ultimately kill Jesus Christ. And he speaks to his disciples. And he says, we are to take up our own cross. How often? Daily, daily. Every day, it ought to be in a process of literally losing our life for Jesus' sake. Why? That we might gain true life in Him. But we are literally to put our flesh to death. Look at this in Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Make no provision for it. Don't give it an inch. Don't give any quarter to the flesh. You are to deny it a beachhead into your life. You say, no, make no provision for the flesh. We are to fight against it at all points. And then Paul's gonna say something very similar in Colossians chapter three. He says this, put to death therefore Whatever is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, present tense, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Go back to that first slide. Look what he says. Put it to death. Put to death whatever is earthly in you. And so you see this consistent call from Christ, from Paul saying, hey, listen, when it comes to our flesh... This is not something that we just kind of say, well, I should be aware of my sin. No, you have to be aware that we might fight against our flesh. We ought to be killing the flesh, putting the flesh to death. And so for us to really step into this process, really do this, a couple things are necessary. Number one, we need to see our sin for what it is. Once we see that sin, we need to repent. We turn away from it. There's a conscious act of our will where we turn away from that sin and then we rely on the Spirit to change us and help us grow. So we see our sin, we repent from that sin, and then we rely on the Spirit to help us change and grow. So let's walk through those this morning. First off, if we're ever actually going to enter into this fight, we must see our sin for what it is. When our flesh tempts us, when we find ourselves enticed by disordered desires, we are never actually going to fight back against these unless to understand what sin actually is. Do we actually see the severity of our sin? Do we actually see what this sin is doing to us? And look, we could talk about this for hours upon hours or days upon days. This is all throughout Scripture. This is why Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins. But please understand that even right now, Sin is doing things to us and to others. And when you leave it unchecked, it leads to corruption and death. Let me give you a few things that sin does. Number one, when you and I engage in sin, it is hardening our hearts. When we engage in sin, it is hardening our hearts. It is making us dull to the voice of God, it is making our hearts hard against the Holy Spirit. It is quite literally hardening us to the very things of God. This is why in the Old Testament it says, he took out your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. When you and I engage in sin, it is hardening us against the Lord. He actually says this right here in Hebrews. Uh, This is chapter, We put that up there. Chapter three, verse 13. It says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right, So when we sin, a change occurs on the inside. We become a little bit harder against the Lord. It changes our heart. And you can see this because once we engage in sin, have you ever noticed it becomes easier to do that sin again? And when you do that sin again, it becomes easier to do it again and again and again. And you find yourself doing things you would never thought you would do. Uh, look, we looked at this last week in Romans chapter 6. Uh, look what it says here in verse 19. It says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You see the two options there? When you and I engage in sin, we engage in lawlessness, it actually paves the way for greater lawlessness, it paves the way for more lawlessness. The opposite is also true. When I pave the way when I surrender to the Lord, it opens my heart to more surrender. It opens my heart to more life. But when it comes to sin, do not misunderstand, do not underestimate the power of what sin is actually doing to you. Now, look, Jesus has been telling this for 2,000 years. Science is finally catching up. Science is finally beginning to catch up to what Jesus has been telling us for two millennia. Neurologists will tell you this, as they begin to study the brain, they used to think that the brain was fixed, but now they would tell us that's not true. They believe in something called neuroplasticity. It means that your brain is not fixed. It means that it's always changing, and depending on what you and I do, it changes the wiring of your brain. This is a major component in addiction. Addiction. When you engage in an activity, specific something that activates the pleasure centers of your brain, guess what? Your brain begins to form a rut. And when you do that again, it it builds a deeper rut, almost like just throwing water down kind of a muddy stream. It's just gonna carve out a channel and the longer you do that thing, the deeper the channel gets to where your brain just jumps there almost automatically, What used to be hard when it was simply a first trickle now becomes a rushing torrent in your mind that becomes harder and harder to ignore. This is what happens when you and I sin. This is why when you engage in a sin, you find it harder and harder to resist. You find it harder and harder to pull away from that thing because it is quite literally rewiring your brain. It does something to you Please do not think you're totally in control or simply because you don't see the impacts immediately that nothing is happening. When you and I engage in sin, it quite literally changes us and over time, it will harden our very hearts against the Lord. That is happening whether you like it or not. Don't underestimate the effects of sin. Why? Because it hardens our hearts. Here's the second thing. It grieves the Holy Spirit. When you and I sin, we are grieving the very Holy Spirit of God. Have you ever done something that you knew would disappoint your parents? You ever do something you knew was going to disappoint your coaches, your teachers, somebody that you care about, and yet you did it anyway? I'd be willing to bet that when you did that thing, they weren't in the room. They weren't nearby. You're like, oh, well, they're over there, but they, you know, what, they'll deal with it. Oh, well, that, I'm sure they wouldn't like this, but they're not here. I'm sure they wouldn't like this, but oh, well, it does not matter. I imagine it would be a whole lot harder if they were in the room, though, wouldn't it? If they were right there and you recognized what your actions were going to do to them when you and I sin, the Bible says it grieves the very Holy Spirit. Why? Because these are the very sins that put Jesus on the cross. When you and I engage in sin, it is this sin. This is what put Jesus on the cross. This is what he died for. And his Holy Spirit lives in me lives in you. He's here right now. And when you and I as believers consciously engage in sin, we are grieving the very Holy Spirit of God. And if this does not move you, we have bigger problems. If it does not bother us at all that we would be grieving the very heart of the God who loves us, who gave his life for us, who constantly gives us grace, that is evidence of that hardness right there. We need to wake up to what it's doing. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the third thing. Sin is wounding the people around us. Sin is wounding the people around us. One of the lies of our flesh is going to be this. Well, this is sin, yeah, it's probably not all that great, but it's only hurting me. You ever said that? It's just hurting me. I know it's not great, but at least it's only hurting me. This has never been true ever in the history of mankind. Stop listening to that it is not true. But no, 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 Adam, this is just my saying. It's just only for me. This is never true. Do you know why? Because sin always gets out of its cage. You cannot keep sin on a leash. You cannot keep sin in a cage. It is always going to get out. It is always going to impact not just you, but all the people around you. It's hurting, not just you, but hurting all the people around you. It has ripple effects. Unless you're on an island by yourself, just like Tom Hanks in Castaway, look, It's hurting other people. And guess what? Even if you are on an island all by yourself, it's still hurting other people. Do you know why? Because you're somebody's son, you're somebody's daughter. You didn't get here by yourself. We do not exist as islands unto ourselves. We are connected to one another. And when you and I sin, it will invariably have an impact on other people. Now again, the flip side is also true. When you walk in Christ, that also has impacts on other people. That also positively impacts other people. But sin always has negative impacts on others. And here's the final thing. Sin is keeping you from the life God made you for. Remember, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. When you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. When you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. Okay, so when you and I are engaged in actions of the flesh we're actions that are sinful, when we are giving into that, not only are we suffering the, the consequences of that, the hardening of our sin, it is keeping us from the joy, the life, the eternal life that God made you for. We are to be growing from one degree of glory to another, being growing in the image of the knowledge of our creator or the knowledge of the image of our creator. Okay, that's what we're missing out on when you and I constantly engage in sin. Instead of turning away from the sin, we're turning our back on the Lord and all of the life that he meant us for. We cannot underestimate sin. We cannot underestimate what our flesh and its desires will do to us if left unchecked. And so once we see that sin, there's a natural response. We are to turn away from it. And so we see our sin, now we need to repent. Look back at verse 13 and notice what it says. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a command there. You and I are to put to death the deeds of the body. This is an act on our part. This is not something God's just going to do for us. This is not just going to happen automatically. We are called to repent. This is actually Jesus' main message. He said, Repent and believe in the kingdom. Turn away from yourself, turn away from the world. To repent literally means to turn. I'm not simply aware of the sin, I don't simply acknowledge the sin. No, when I see it, I agree with the Lord that this is evil and I turn and do something differently. This is an act of the will. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's impossible for us to change ourselves. Only the Spirit can actually bring transformation in our hearts. But this still does require our participation. Think back to your salvation. We don't add anything to our salvation. God is the only one who can save us. He is the only one who can affect salvation. But we are saved by grace through faith. I participate by faith. I put my faith and my trust in him. There has to be a response. I don't just wake up and find myself saved having done nothing. I have to participate in this. Our sanctification is no different. Only the Lord can transform us. Only the spirit can empower us. But he is waiting on our participation. Are we going to actively participate in him? See, some of us are just kind of waiting for us to want to do this. We're, you're just waiting until you want to, right? That's like saying, I'm gonna wait till I get rich to get a job. Good luck with that. This is not going to work. If you wait until you get rich to get a job, you will never get rich nor have a job. This is not gonna happen. You're gonna have to do some work here. You'll have to get a ton of help. But guess what? There is effort involved on our part. When you and I recognize our sin, we are to put to death the misdeeds of the body. That means we have to repent. I agree with the Lord that it is wrong and I consciously turn away from that sin. This is what it really looks like to put the flesh to death. To fight against the flesh is when I say, okay, this is something that I have to do. Here's the second thing, it's drastic. Did you catch that? We put it to death. You kill it. You don't negotiate. You're not patient. You don't tolerate it. It is sin and you kill it. When you find this in yourself, I'm not talking about how you treat other people. I'm talking about how you're dealing with this in yourself. When you see this in yourself and you see the sin as it is, we are called to say, no, 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 no! I give this no quarter. The the flesh is not surrendering to the Lord. I wish to surrender to the Lord. I turn my back on that sin. And even if that means a lot of change, even if that means sacrifice, even if that means changing what what I've been doing, I am willing to do so. Why? Because I am to put to death the deeds of the body. And the question is, are we willing to do that? It's one thing to see your sin. It's another thing to actually repent. A lot of people see their need for Christ, but they never surrender to him. A lot of people know about Jesus Christ, but they never surrender to him. They never repent and say, I choose to say no to myself, Jesus, help me. I surrender to you. Are we willing to actually make that sacrifice? Because repentance is hard. This is a war. It's a battle. And so I'd love to just ask a few questions this morning. And some of these questions will uh, deal with you. I'm sure many will not. But we are all wrestling with our flesh in this room, every single one of us, even though our temptations might be different, even though the way the flesh attacks us might be different. But I wonder if when we actually discover this in our lives, if we're actually willing to make the changes to follow after Jesus Christ. We might need to consider questions like this. Are we willing to stop seeing certain people because when you do, you know exactly what will happen? Are you willing to make changes in who you hang out with? Because every single time you do, you know what kind of person you become. You know what kind of things you do. You know how much you regret what you say and what you do when you're with them. And you just have to recognize, I am not strong enough to be with these people at this certain time. And I have to change who I spend my time with because I cannot handle it. Are you actually willing to make that change? Are you willing to stop buying things that we can't afford simply because we want to? Are we willing to stop putting ourselves in farther and farther into debt simply because we can't tell ourselves no? Because when you feel the desire to have the thing and you want to keep up with the Joneses, we got to have the thing. And so it doesn't matter how much it costs or how much it changes our life or how much it's going to ruin our future. I have to have it. Or do I actually say no to myself? Am I willing to prioritize the Lord over other pressing demands in my life? Look, we live in a time where you and I can't meet all the demands, Everybody wants everything. There's not enough hours in the day for all the people who want all our time, which means we have to make choices. Do we put the Lord first and say, Father, I seek you first, and then with whatever time I have left, I will, I will do whatever is required of me in the world, or do we do the opposite and say, whatever the world demands of me, whatever it takes from me, I will satisfy all the demands of the world, and just by chance, if there's anything left for the Lord, I'll squeeze in a quiet time or Bible or time to spend time with other believers, but only if I've already satisfied the world first. Are we willing to actually make t- changes in our priorities, and what we actually do? Are we willing to make changes in our diet even when our body screams out against it? When the doctor says you are going to actually need to change this because this is actually killing you and it's gonna steal away years of your life, years of life with your loved ones, the years of life where you can serve the Lord, or do we sadly find out that our God is our stomach and we can't actually tell ourselves no and we just continue to do it Regardless, are we willing to change how we talk to people both in person and online if we find that we are slandering or holding malice towards a person or a group? When we talk to people, maybe not in person, but what we type, and we actually review these things and find out that I am just letting hatred be vented. I'm letting, letting, letting prejudice be vented and I don't even challenge it at all when we actually see this or are we actually willing to change the way that we talk, to change the way that we interact or even the people that we listen to who push us in that direction. Are we willing to give up drinking or drinking as much if we see that we do not have control over it? When you find yourself drinking more than you said you were going to drink, you find yourself drinking to excess when you said you were not going to, when you find yourself drinking more often than you said you were going to, is it time to recognize that we no longer have control over this? And that I actually need to say, no, there's a problem here. I'm I'm building a rut in my soul and it's actually killing me. Are we willing to change what we call entertainment if we see that it's poisoning our minds? And instead of assuming that what the world says is okay, just because everybody seems to be watching this, saying this, listening to this, that we also should do the same, or do we actually make choices to say, I'm not going to watch what everybody else is watching, listen to what everybody else is listening to, do what everybody else is doing. Why? Because this is not entertainment. It's actually poisoning me. Am I willing to make changes in what I consider to be entertainment to follow the Lord? Are we willing to stop watching pornography and making excuses for why it's okay? The world is making a push to normalize pornography in our culture. Don't believe it? Ask your kids because they're all being indoctrinated in this. But we sometimes go along with it in all of its different forms. Are we willing to say no to this in all of its forms because it is quite literally poisoning our lives and our relationships? Are we willing to make changes? Are we willing to admit that we have been harboring unforgiveness and finally be willing to forgive what happens when it's a little closer to home when we find out I'm not willing to forgive this person for what they did, what they said, this group for what they did, for what they said. We let hatred run there instead. And the grace that God has given me, I cannot give to other people. When we discover that unforgiveness, are we willing to change and ask the Lord to help us forgive? Are we willing to admit that we have been divisive and choose to hold, instead choose to hold our tongue instead of talking to everyone we know? What happens when you find out you've been gossipy have you ever discovered that? That we have been talking about things that we do not actually know about, about people that we do not fully know about, and yet we talked about it anyway with other people who were not connected to the situation, and they don't know either, but we talked anyway. And we have slandered, and we have gossiped about things we don't understand. Do we actually stop gossiping? or do we just continue on instead? Are we willing to challenge our own anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene talk, and finally call it what it is, instead of claiming freedom in Christ as if it does not matter? When we discover these things in our souls, are we willing to acknowledge them as sin, as desires of my very own flesh, I acknowledge the Lord and then I repent, I turn, and say, I'm going to have to make changes. I have to put to death the deeds of the body, which means I cannot simply continue on in these things. I must turn and follow the Lord. Instead, are we willing to engage in a fight with our very own flesh? This is the battle we all face as believers. Now, look, I'm sure I've made you mad with at least one of these things. I tried real hard, all right? And look, I mean, all of us are somewhere on this list or at least close by to it. Now, we had at least one of them, maybe two. If you've got to three or more, we, we should talk, right? Uh, but look, we're all struggling in different ways. What do you do when we recognize these things? Well, we're going to have to steal ourselves for attack because if you actually begin to repent, if you actually recognize what this is, this is an attack of the flesh, and you turn to follow the Lord, you must be prepared for the counterattack. Because your flesh is not going to go down without a fight. It is not going to go down without a fight. Your flesh wants to master you. Now, look, it cannot control you anymore. You have been set free from the slavery of sin by Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to him, you are saved, you're set free. But this flesh is loud and noisy and insistent and persistent and intense. And it is going to fight back because it desires to have you. You must not underestimate your enemy. Look what happens in Genesis. Genesis chapter four, this is right at the very beginning. The very first two brothers In the first family, Cain and Abel, it says this, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Did you hear this? Look at the picture. It's crouching at the door. It's begging for an opportunity. And its desire is to have you to control you, to manipulate you. This is what your flesh wants to do. Look at this next one. Uh, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 12. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Did you catch that? It desires to make you obey the flesh. This is what it wants. It wants you to be enthralled to the flesh. This is how it is going to fight back against you. When you actually begin to deal with this, it is going to fight back. In fact, when I was going through all of these questions, I imagine at one point, some of you felt a flush of anger. Do you feel it? Or your heart started beating a little bit faster because you finally got a little too close to home to something you don't want to talk about. Or maybe you felt fear just kind of rise up out of nowhere. Okay, that's the flesh. When the flesh is threatened, it is going to react. When you feel that in yourself, it is going to fight back and you must be prepared for that. You must be prepared for the counterattack. And please understand, it might not always look like you think it's going to look. A couple weeks ago, when we talked about the flesh, we described it like the Hulk. Remember that? It is like this thing living inside of us. This hulking green monster with these desires that, that, that seem to be irresistible. It is strong and overwhelming. And sometimes that's how the flesh is going to attack. You're going to feel these desires, this kind of overwhelming thing to try to just kind of bowl you over and, and push you into sin. But that's not the only attack the flesh has at its disposal. You see, the Hulk has a weakness The Hulk is incredibly strong, but the Hulk is not subtle. You ever notice that? Subtlety is not his thing. You always know where the Hulk is. You know why? He's smashing stuff. He's big and strong. He's terrifying. He's also right over there. You never have to worry about where he is. You know where he is. He's loud and brash and over there. And for some of us, we've felt that attack before. I said, okay, there he is. He's right over there. And so you think you understand sin. As long as I kind of stay away from that one, I'll be fine. But that's not the only attack flesh has up its sleeve. Because sometimes it's not going to attack you like the Hulk. Sometimes it's going to attack you like Lex Luthor. Now, honestly, I'm really not a huge comic book fan, but I understand Superman and Lex Luthor. These have been enemies all throughout the comics for decades. But I got to be honest, I have never understood this. How in the world is Lex Luthor a worthy adversary to Superman? Did you see any of the Justice League movies? They're terrible. Was it Jesse Eisenberg? How is this an enemy? Seriously, every time you see Superman, he's got like a gazillion superpowers. You ever notice that? He can do everything. He's super strong. He's indestructible. He can fly. He can see through stuff. He's got the laser eye thing going on. He can do everything. And if he can't, they'll just invent up another power. He's got all the powers. Do you know what Lex Luthor has? Nothing. He's got nothing. He's a dude. He doesn't even have any hair. He's got nothing. Do you know what he's got? He's smart and he's rich. He's like evil Bruce Wayne. That's what he is. He's smart and he's rich. That's it. Superman has everything. And yet for decades, he's been a thorn in Superman's side this entire time. That's the flesh. It's got no power over you. It can't actually overcome you. You have the Holy Spirit of God of the universe living inside of you. But he's smart and he's rich and he can deceive you. You ever talked yourself into a sin before? You see, sometimes it's not going to be this, this huge desire that carries you over into something where you say, I can't believe it. I just did that. Sometimes you chose to do it and we talked ourselves into it. Okay, that's also the flesh. We see, it's okay for us to move in together because. Well, I know we're not married, but we can sleep together because. Well, I know other people can't do this right now, but I can. Well, I know other people can't say this, but I can. I know this would be wrong for other people, but, but, but it's, right, it's right for me because. You ever said those things before? Okay, that's the flesh. Sometimes it will deceive us. It is going to speak to us, not in hulkish tones. It's going to be much more conniving. And it's going to try to cajole us into doing exactly what it wants us to do. And because we feel that draw, we will sometimes follow suit with that. And so you have to be aware of the counterattack. You have to be aware of what the flesh is going to do when we see it and we begin to turn towards the Lord. It is not going to go quietly and you're going to have to be ready for that counterattack. Now, a couple of quick caveats about this. When we repent, when you and I turn against the flesh, a couple of things that I, I want to note here. First off, for some people in the room and certainly some people might be listening online to a podcast, if you're a part of our culture, this is going to sound really weird to you. In fact, it's going to sound almost evil to you because what you might say is, is, Adam, this sounds like repression. Why in the world would I repress myself? Adam, if I have these desires, if I have these feelings, they must be good for you. What you're telling me is, is that I should repress myself. I should repress these desires that are in me, but if I have desires, aren't they good? Why in the world would I repress myself? I've watched all the Disney princess movies and it told me to follow my heart. I am supposed to live my truth. I gotta speak my truth. I gotta do my thing. I'm supposed to me do me. I gotta you do you. I mean, look, I I gotta do the thing. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And look, I know that that sounds natural in our culture, but I need you to evaluate that for a moment because there's an assumption underneath that idea. And the assumption is this, that if a desire comes from inside of me, it must be good. That's simply because I feel something sincerely that it is by nature holy. That's simply because I feel something strongly internally, and it's not coming from external. I'm not being manipulated from the outside. As long as it's coming from the inside, it must be good. And this is simply not true. It can be disproven so quickly, you don't need anybody else but to look at your own history. Because, look, If all of our desires were good, you and I would never have to regret anything. You would have nothing to regret in your entire life. Because you would always do what you want. And if what you want is always good, you would never have anything to regret. But we do. There are tons of things, things that we chose to do. We we gleefully did on purpose only to look around and said I had no idea what I was doing or how it was going to hurt me or how it was going to hurt my loved ones. I had no idea that this desire could destroy me. Ask any addict if all of their feelings are inherently good. And they will tell you that your feelings can destroy you. Look, not all your feelings are bad. They're not. They're gifts from God, but they're not all good either simply because you and I have a desire does not make it good. I have to recognize that we are all in a war with our flesh. Here's the second thing. As you and I talk about repentance, as we talk about mortification and killing the flesh, the enemy's going to say, man, don't listen to that guy. Do you know what he's talking about? He's going to get super crazy. I mean, I know what these Christians are like. Next thing you know, he's going to be telling you to run out into the desert and sit on a pole and bake out in the sun and do all this kind of crazy stuff. I mean, that's what mortification is. Don't listen to that guy. And there's some truth to that. There is. Christians don't always get things right. I hope you know that. And this was one of those chapters of history where believers, in good sincerity, got things very wrong. There's a group of people called the Desert Fathers. They said a lot lot of really good things, but part of their deal was that they would go out into the desert, and they would hang out, and yeah, some of them would get up on poles in the desert, and they would just sit there with a rope tied around them, and they would just bake in the sun. Others would take little whips, and they would whip themselves on the back. To kind of torture themselves. Some of them would wear hair shirts where there was like hair on the inside of the clothing. It was just uncomfortable all the time. They would do this on purpose to kind of torture their flesh. Okay, well, look, your body itself is not the problem. Okay, we're talking about our, our fallen humanity. Okay, so look, that doesn't work. Torturing your body isn't gonna work. Scripture itself says this. I wish they had read this first. Check this out in Colossians chapter 3 or chapter 2 though. Uh, In talking about all these rules that people put on people, it says, look, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. they will work. If all you're doing is rules, if all you're doing is going through the motions, well, then yeah, this isn't going to work. That's not actually going to challenge your flesh. It's going to shift the attack to to some other arena. That doesn't actually work. When we're talking about mortification, we're not talking about torturing your body. We are talking about recognizing that we deal with a flesh that is after us. It is literally going to entice us towards death and destruction. I need to repent of that, turn my back on it, make changes so that I might surrender to the Lord. That leads us to the third thing, why I rely on the Holy Spirit. You rely on the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 13. Look what it says there. It tells us very plainly, you put to death. But look what it says before that. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. All right? So this is not about you and I fixing it. This is not about you and I trying harder. It's not about you and I doing this in our own power because we can't actually change ourselves. The goal is to repent and then surrender to the Spirit so that he can transform us, so that he can affect this transformation. We can't actually do this in our own power, but when you and I turn to the Lord and say, Father, I know what I'm like when I'm in charge. I know what I'm like when I give in to my sin, but Jesus, I feel these temptations. I repent and I ask you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, to transform me from one degree of glory to another that I might become more like you. And when you and I live in the Spirit, surrendered to the Spirit, open to the Lord in all that we do, instead of finding ourselves careening towards destruction, that neuroplasticity works both ways, you find yourself actually being transformed <laughs> to see more of the Lord, to find more life, more joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, and self-control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to be born in your life by His power and not by ours. And if you say, Adam, I just don't know if that's going to happen for me. You don't know about this struggle. I've had it for years. I've tried so hard. I I just can't seem to get over this. I mean, I I just, I don't know if there's ever going to be any relief from this. Look, we all have different struggles and some of them are more, more acute than others. And in your own power, there is no hope. We cannot defeat this on our own. But you and I are not called to do this on our own. Look what it says here in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4 it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He says, look, look to Jesus, because guess what? In our wrestling with the flesh, in our wrestling with sin, we have not resisted to the point of actually dying in order to not give in to temptation, of shedding our very blood. To avoid that sin. We have not done that, but there's one who has. There is one who has resisted sin to the point of shedding his own blood. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ resisted sin even when it cost him the shedding of his own blood. And guess what? He wasn't even resisting his own sin, he was resisting ours. He didn't come for his own sin, he came for ours. And when the enemy in the world and sin itself came to attack him, he in all holiness turned his face to the Father, walked in purity all his days. But even when it cost him the very breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, Jesus Christ even then refused to give up. He has defeated and conquered all sin. And when he died, having paid the penalty for all of our sins and transgressions, he rose from the grave. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And then he sent his own Holy Spirit to live in you. He lives in me. By our own power, we cannot overcome sin. But the very one who has conquered all sin, his own Spirit lives in us. And when you and I live and surrender to the Spirit, there can be victory. There can be healing. He who began a good work in you will carry it on even to, the day, even to completion under the day of Christ Jesus. He will not give up. When we turn in repentance and surrender to the Spirit on a day-by-day basis, even if you backslide and say, I've made a mistake, repent again, return to the Spirit, you will begin to see Him transform you and bring you the life, the peace, the eternal life that He made you for. Where's your fight? Do you see it? And if you see it, are you simply waiting on something to happen or do you recognize that we are called to mortify the flesh, to put these things to death. If you and I will rely on the Holy Spirit, we can see change. Just to do this for me, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We said at the beginning that we were going to continue our worship, and we will. We don't simply wanna talk about that today. We actually want to really practice this. And so, We've got three songs that we're gonna sing as we end out our service and for each one, we're gonna be able to kind of process through this. For this first one, uh, we're actually gonna ask you not even to sing, we're just gonna sing over you because remember, the first thing we need to do is simply to see our sin. I can't repent if I don't see what it is. And so even right now, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, can, can you begin to ask the Holy Spirit to show you where the flesh is winning? I imagine there might be a few things you're already aware of. The more dangerous ones, though, are the ones we're not aware of yet. Pride runs deep. That envy or covetousness or idolatry, those things run deeper. They hide. And I wonder if today, in His grace, the Holy Spirit, not to shame you, but to heal you, could reveal those things to you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to tell me or anybody else. But there can't be a healing until there's honesty. I wonder if, even as we sing this first song, as we begin to walk through this process of seeing, repenting, and relying on the Spirit, we just ask the Spirit to show us where's the fight? And Lord, where are the places where we need to acknowledge our war with the flesh? And so, Father, on behalf of my brothers and sisters and everybody who's here today, I know we're. We're all in this fight. Father, some of us have never given our lives to you completely. We've been going through the motions, playing the game, and we have never put our faith in you. And I pray that today would be the day that we stopped trusting ourselves and we started trusting you. We stopped agreeing with ourselves and we started agreeing with you. And we asked you to be the one to save us and give us life. So bring that salvation to anyone who does not know you. But for all my brothers and sisters, Lord, you know our struggles. You know our frailty. You know our fight with our very own flesh. But Lord, we don't actually know the fullness of that fight. And so, could you speak to us and in love, could you reveal to us those areas of their life where we need to repent? The places where we need to say we're sorry, places we've given in to sin, we haven't even fought it. And Lord, instead, agree with you and turn. So, Lord, we're listening. We want to know. And Father, in your love and your grace and your mercy, would you speak truth to us in these moments? Let's listen for the Lord.